your best time to run may have come and gone. I'd like to know that what makes a lot of you personally tick to make such a big decision with you and your family. Jack, you saying I'm washed up? No. Oh, God. No. From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker. What the president has done has been the single worst thing that he's done as president of the United States. It's time for us to get to work to find our greatness again. Once you get on the stage, it's not going to matter whether you're number one, number five, or number ten. I'm David First. Coming up, Governor Christie and foreign policy. We'll speak with Ken Edelman, the guy who wrote Christie's favorite book these days, one he name drops every chance he gets, Reagan at Reykjavik, 48 hours that ended the Cold War. And the Star-Ledger's Tom Moran will join us with a perspective on Christie's foreign policy credentials. First, though, we're joined by New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz. We learned about the money raised by America Leads, the super PAC supporting Governor Christie this week, $11 million. We also learned about who gave that money. We're talking about a handful of very wealthy donors, several with close business ties to the state of New Jersey. We found out who Christie's billionaire is. So in 2016, you need a billionaire in order to successfully run for president. At least that's what it it seems like. Or you have to be a billionaire yourself, like Donald Trump. The really rich backers have to give to the super PAC, which technically Christie can't coordinate with, but they have to give to the super PAC because you have a cap on donations given to your actual campaign account. So the super PAC is unlimited. And we learned that uh, the most money came from Steve Cohn and his wife. Now, Steve Cohn is one of the most successful hedge fund managers in world history. He's also one of the most controversial. His company was uh, indicted not too long ago, but he still has quite the fortune because he was able to send $2 million, him and his wife, $2 million to Christie's Super PAC. So this could be just a down payment. This could be the guy who continues to give to the Super PAC here on out. He was one of a number of very, very wealthy people who gave to the governor. Um, Ken Langone, the founder of Home Depot, who is probably Christie's most vocal supporter. He made a donation as expected. This was interesting. Another pot of money came from a company called American Media, which gave $10,000. And this company is actually the publisher of Flex Magazine and the National Enquirer. Okay, the National Enquirer. But what about uh, the companies with state connections? Who, who really jumps out on this list? The first is PSE&G. PSE&G is uh, the utility, the electric utility in New Jersey. And the company is barred from giving to New Jersey politicians because it is a regulated utility, not allowed to make donations to local politicians running in New Jersey. But there's a loophole. Uh, anybody can give to a super PAC. So they made us a sizable donation, um, which really bothered people on Twitter once I mentioned it and that, you know, people were seeing the money they pay toward their electric bill going to Christie's presidential candidacy. And it's unclear why PSCNG would want to be involved in a presidential campaign other than the fact that they want to maintain a positive relationship with a guy who could be governor for the next two and a half years. How can this money be seen as money truly going to fund a presidential campaign and not just to be on the governor's good side? And there's all kinds of uh, donations that raise those sorts of questions. A company associated with Paul Fireman, the former chairman of Reebok, uh, gave a million dollars I do know that Fireman is seeking to open a casino in Jersey City, and that requires state legislative approval. And Christie had 
opposed having casinos outside of Atlantic City in places like Jersey City. But now he says he favors letting voters decide whether there should be gambling elsewhere. There were two companies that were subcontractors for Sandy that gave money. The second biggest lobbying firm in the state, Public Strategies Impact, donated to the Super PAC. They are also representing Exxon. Uh, That's one of their longstanding clients. And of course, the governor recently entered into a very, very controversial uh, settlement with Exxon over environmental damage in the state. And their critics say that he really, you know, didn't get nearly what he could have uh, from Exxon in this settlement. And there's no uh, Jerry Jones on the list, but we do have uh, the Mets' Fred Wilpon. That's right. Uh, Fred Wilpon, who's a friend of the governor, uh, gave $100,000. Fred Wilpon owns the team that is Christie's favorite sports team ever. Uh, for a long time, Christie used to take his lunch to work at the State House in a beat up old Mets lunchbox that was a giveaway at a ball game many years ago. And here he is explaining his Mets obsession on the New Jersey 101.5's Ask the Governor show. A Mets fan cannot root for the Yankees or the Phillies. You just can't. And like when the Yankees and the Phillies played in the World Series yeah. um, a couple of years ago, I was rooting that there could be some way that they both could lose, <laughs> um, if it were at all possible. And that's because I'm a bitter and angry Mets fan. And, and that's just the way it As goes. Are most. That's right. Yeah. I mean, why, why wouldn't we be? Yeah. We're yeah. awful. He goes to games after the team is already out of contention, you know, late September games. He's hung out in the clubhouse. I mean, he is a hardcore Mets fan. And even though Fred Wilpon has been stingy in in getting uh, some outfielders uh, of late, he did have enough money to fund the governor's presidential campaign. Meg Whitman, uh, the uh, corporate executive who had run for governor of California, Christie famously got into a confrontation with a man who was heckling Whitman during a campaign event. Hey, hey, listen, hey, listen, hey, listen, you know what? You want to yell, yell at me, but don't give her a hard time. We're here. We're here talking about the future of the state of California and the future of our country. And you know what? And you know what? And you know what? Let me tell you. And let me tell you this. You know what? It's people who raise their voices and yell and scream like you that are dividing this country. We're here to bring this country together, not to divide it. And Whitman made this donation to Christie's Super PAC, perhaps as a way of thanking him for his chivalry. For his angry, angry chivalry. Yes, angry chivalry. I guess this is just where we are now in 2015. This is the way things are done. But I know this is just another one of my hugely naive questions. But should a sitting governor be able to accept money from companies that do business with the state to fund a presidential campaign? Well, the Supreme Court of the United States says yes, and I guess I have to yield to them. Christie says that anybody should be able to give any money to a presidential campaign. Everybody in this country has a right to try to influence the political process. And the question is, are you going to be good enough as a candidate to be a professional ingrate? Because that's what you need to be as a candidate. You have to take people's money, and then if they ask you to do something that you don't agree with, you got to be able to say no to them. And, and that's what you have to do. It's hard. It's hard, but you got to do it. He would simplify the system. You just give unlimited amount of money to whatever campaign you want, 
However, the campaign has to disclose all of its donations within 24 hours online. And he's been asked a lot about campaign finance reform on, on the campaign trail. And this is the answer he gives. And people seem to accept it. You know, he says you, you could see whatever connections are there. You could see where we're getting money from. He also insists that he won't sell his soul to these donors. Mine's not for sale. But if voters want to make any sort of judgment about that, they can just go online and see who's giving money to who. And, you know, you could do that, but it also requires some journalism, I think, to make those connections. You see the names, but it's sometimes maybe hard to make the connections. We had a chance to speak with Republican New Jersey Assemblywoman Holly Shapizi this week. Uh, here are her thoughts on the question about donations from companies that do business with the state. I'm actually okay with it. Um, I think so long as it's out in the open and people are aware of it, um, I really have no issues with it. And I think a lot of people are being hypocritical. A lot of people who are raising eyebrows, who are finger-pointing, jumping up and down, were direct recipients of um, just a couple of years ago when uh, Barbara Bono was uh, challenging Governor Christie. You had almost $6 million paid out by the NJEA Super PAC to directly benefit the Democrats who were running against Christie, as well as the legislative ticket. So you can't stand there and go, oh, how dare PSE&G give a quarter of a million dollars to Governor Christie's presidential campaign when you've been on the receiving end of close to $6 million through a super PAC for a gubernatorial candidate. The NJEA is uh, the state's largest teachers union, but a union is not the same thing as a for-profit business. Matt, is it a problem that New Jersey's pay-to-play restrictions intended to stop businesses from currying favor with the governor don't apply to federal elections? You have the state of New Jersey, which is essentially a $30 billion annual business, and you have companies that rely on a piece of that money for their very existence, and they want to give money in order to get in the rooms with these political power players, and they're not allowed to do that if it's a statewide race. But here's a way they can do that. I mean, why does a New Jersey construction company care so much to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars who's in the White House? New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz. Thanks again. Thanks, David. Enjoy the debates. Matt Katz is writing a book on Governor Christie that's coming out in January. We're back with Ken Edelman in just a moment. First, though, an excerpt from a town hall in New Hampshire this week that for a moment, went slightly off topic. We should all acquit ourselves in a way that we believe is consistent with the teachings that we follow if we follow certain teachings from a religious perspective. Um, That's what I'll always continue to try to do. I mean, for instance, I'm a Catholic, but I've used birth control and not just the rhythm method, okay? This is the Christy Tracker Podcast. I'm David First. Governor Christie might not have his own book on the shelves for potential voters to peruse, but that doesn't mean he can't still recommend some summer reading. And there's a particular book Christie and his advisors keep mentioning. When Christie's foreign policy credentials were called into question, his advisors cited the book several times as one the governor was reading to brush up on global affairs. The book is Reagan at Reykjavik, 48 Hours That Ended the Cold War. 
And now the governor is referencing the historic 1986 U.S.-Soviet summit in an ad where Christie comes out swinging at the Obama administration's Iran nuclear deal. Now he's lying to the American people about how the deal's going to work. I would have walked away from the table. That's what Ronald Reagan did when he walked away from Mikhail Gorbachev in Reykjavik. And so as president... Some say the book has too rosy a view of the former president's strengths, but Reagan at Reykjavik offers fly-on-the-wall details on the summit between President Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev in Iceland, a meeting that led to historic arms control agreements and, in the author's opinion, the end of the Cold War. We're joined by the author, Ken Edelman. He was President Reagan's arms control director at Reykjavik during the summit. Welcome. Thank you so much, David. First of all, it's nice that you have uh, Governor Christie's advisors on your PR team. Are are you flattered? Uh, I'm flattered that the governor himself uh, read the book, loved it, and kept mentioning it. So that meant a lot to me. A year ago, I was uh, here in Colorado, and Governor Christie uh, came running up to me and said that I had ruined his previous weekend because uh, he got a hold of Reagan at Reykjavik, and he started reading it, and he couldn't put it down. And his wife kept saying, come on, Chris, let's go somewhere. And he said, well, one more chapter, one more chapter. And here's one of Christie's most recent endorsements. Uh, Here he is on ABC Radio. Everybody who's concerned about this issue should get, and I don't want to be a shill for Ken Edelman, but they should get Ken Edelman's book on Reykjavik. One of the best books I've read, not only on how extraordinary Ronald Reagan was as a president, but also what a great negotiator he was. And it talks about that weekend at Reykjavik with Gorbachev, and I will tell you, it'll be a model for the way I'll negotiate as president of the United States. What did President Reagan do at Reykjavik that speaks to him as being a tough negotiator? He was willing to sit down with the Soviets, but he was also willing at the right moment to stand up to the Soviets. Uh, Ronald Reagan thought of himself as a great negotiator, and I think if you look at the notes, and I'm talking about the American notes as well as the Russian notes, uh, of what happened at Reykjavik over ten and a half hours, which is an awfully long time for a president to be negotiating, uh, it's awfully impressive what Reagan did. And he was willing to compromise on things that he was comfortable with. And uh, when uh, Mikhail Gorbachev wanted Reagan to stop SDI, the Strategic Defense Initiative, unkindly called Star Wars, uh, Reagan says, no, I'm not going to do that. And he was quite willing to have the weekend end in, quote, failure, which was loudly proclaimed at the time, uh, to stand up for his values. That failure turned out to be a roaring success afterwards. Governor Christie talks about this power of walking away from the table and referencing the Iran deal. He says he would have walked away from the table. And as he mentions in the ad, that's what Ronald Reagan did when he walked away from Gorbachev. What's your take on on the way he's tying these two events together? I think he's making the right analogy that you often get caught up in negotiations, especially when you're president of the United States and you spent 10 and a half hours with somebody negotiating and you get caught up and think to yourself, my God, we have to have a negotiation that's successful here. Otherwise, you know, we're going to be a failure as well as the event is going to be a failure. And Ronald Reagan, either consciously or not consciously or instinctively, we just don't know with Reagan, uh, always felt that if he could get a good deal, he really wanted a good deal. And you could see in the last hour with Gorbachev that he was almost pleading, let's get something that we both can use here. But the fact is that uh, he was willing to say, no, I'm not going to go beyond that line. And uh, I just can't do it. 
And that was something that I think that uh, great negotiators do. They keep in their mind what is unacceptable to them instead of going and saying the main value is to get a deal. Governor Christie has been saying you can't look too anxious to get a deal. Here he is on CBS this morning talking about the Iran deal. You give them your belt, they want your pants next. I mean, that's the way it goes. And, you know, I said over the weekend in New Hampshire, you wouldn't buy a car this way, let alone have nuclear talks this way. You can't look like you want the car that much. And the president cares much more about his legacy now and having some his signature on, this, uh, on some kind of agreement with Iran than whether it's a good agreement for the country and for the world. Uh, I agree with Governor Christie on this, that the um, negotiators, Secretary Kerry, who is really spent a lot of time and effort in a very gallant and admirable way, uh, felt that they really wanted a deal with the uh, Iranian uh, negotiators, Um, not almost regardless of what they had, but they wanted a deal above all. And uh, the fact is that you get into all kinds of situations where you don't want to be if you have that mindset. Ron Reagan never had that mindset. Ken, among your other accomplishments, you went on to teach Shakespeare at Georgetown University. Uh, Did you uh, find any parallels to the weekend in Reykjavik in the Bard's writing? Yes, it was just a a great climax of drama, the kind that uh, most wonderful Shakespeare plays um, have. Two great characters that come out of literature almost, Reagan and Gorbachev, so that you really know, my God, it's just a, uh, an, an event that is going to be one of the most important in my life. It was the most important weekend of my life. Ken Edelman, the author of Reagan at Reykjavik, 48 Hours That Ended the Cold War. Thanks for speaking with us. Thank you, David. With a follow-up on Christie's criticism of the uh, Obama administration's Iran deal, we're joined by Tom Moran, editorial page editor for the Star-Ledger. Welcome back, Tom. Good to be here, Dave. Christie has been relentless in his uh, criticism of Obama's deal, and and he keeps saying that he's a a better negotiator than Obama or or Kerry. What evidence do we have of Christie, the great negotiator? Well, you know, we had early in his term him negotiating with Democrats to strike deals over pension payments and containing other government costs like labor agreements. Uh, He did an agreement on teacher tenure, made an agreement to combine the um, state universities into one more organized umbrella, he negotiated with Democrats to change the way union contracts are negotiated that contain salary increases. Back then, when he was considering running in 2012, that was going to be his whole pitch. I'm the guy who can make the deal. The problem is what happened after that. We've had three or four years since then of essentially gridlock in Trenton along the same styles as Washington. Isn't there something to be said, though, that when you're super popular, you're going to be a better negotiator because everyone thinks, oh, my gosh, everyone loves this guy. I, I got to play ball with him. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, the economy stagnated. He had Bridgegate. He was sort of severely weakened by that and his, his support. So nobody wants to deal with him. What I find curious about this, too, is He's emphasizing foreign policy in his second TV ad, and he has no experience in foreign policy. It strikes me as a curious move. And so as president, the top priority is to protect the United States of America, and I'm the only one in this race who's had at least some small part of that responsibility. I'm Chris Christie, and I approve this message. He's made a trip to England and Canada and Mexico as he's been running for president, but he's never negotiated any international agreement. He says he's got the experience because he was U.S. attorney and prosecuted terrorists. Yeah, there were a couple of minor cases that most people say prosecuted terrorists who really didn't present that much of a threat that made some people felt they were entrapped. But yeah, he's had that experience. I don't see how that translates into negotiating skills with Iran. 
Let's talk about uh, uh, President Reagan. Christie talks about uh, Reagan's performance in uh, Reykjavik and talks about Reagan as being a tough negotiator. Yeah, and I think everybody agrees that's needed in foreign policy. It's a really tough comparison because in that situation, A, America was negotiating alone. In Iran, we are part of a coalition that includes Russia and China, so that limits your movement. A lot of the critics of the Iran deal want us to impose broader conditions on Iran's behavior around the region, not just on nuclear issues, but on supporting Hezbollah, on supporting the Syrian dictator and all those things. You're not going to get Russia and China on board for a, you know, a Pax Americana in the Middle East. And so if you tried to go that route, it seems pretty clear the sanctions regimen that got Iran to the table in the first place would fall apart. So Reagan didn't have that problem. Reagan had overwhelming strength in the nuclear standoff with the Soviet Union and controlled his end alone. I think everybody pretty much agrees that Reagan's uh, tough stance in military buildup was one of the tensions that led to the collapse of the Soviet Union. How much that contributed is in sharp dispute. But yes, standing up to the Russians and saying, you know, we're going to increase our forces if you don't agree to limits. They agreed to limits. Their economy, as we now know, was in much worse shape than anybody realized at the time. It doesn't translate to Iran, though. In Iran, if you're if Christie's saying you'd walk away from the deal, then the international consensus is that Iran could have a nuke in two or three months. Now, I'd like them to stop meddling in Syria, too, but I'm glad they don't have a nuke while they do it. Whenever you're doing an analysis on, on how a negotiation went, it's, it's very difficult two or three weeks after it has just finished to know was it a good move? Was it a bad move? We're talking about Reagan and Reykjavik, at the time it was talked about as a total failure. I think that's really true in the Iran case, too, because the trade-off here is uh, when we lift our boot off Iran's neck in return for their agreement to at least delay developing a nuclear weapon by 10 or 15 years. When we take that boot off their neck, they get frozen assets, something like $150 billion right away, and they start to be able to sell their oil. So does Iran take that money and create more trouble? Uh, you know, so we really do need to wait 10 years. Or do they take this opening to the West and say, hey, you know, maybe we should concentrate on doing business? Tom Moran, editorial page editor for the Star-Ledger. Thanks again. Okay, thanks, Dave. The Christie Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, thanks to associate producer Joseph Capriglione. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to the Christie Tracker podcast on iTunes. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow Tom Moran on Twitter at Tom A. Moran or Matt Katz at Matt Katz 00. That's Matt K-A-T-Z. I'm David First. And speaking of Matt Katz, the governor and a New Hampshire voter had some choice words for him last week regarding his soon-to-be-released book. Is this the famous Matt Katz that's going to book out? The, the uh, well, he doesn't have it out yet. It's a rumor I heard that he's actually going to gonna a, finish a, the book someday. A famous author. Yeah, I'll tell you that his, that his wife and his children are really anticipating the book coming out. They really are. They're, they're the only ones more excited than me. He I tried to sell it to me last night. He's not even finished it. It's, it's shameless, right? <laughs> shameless.